You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? How's that for a greeting? Have you ever, ever gotten a letter from a church with that kind of an introduction? Have you ever heard a pastor or a Sunday school teacher say something like that? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You know, what in the world? I mean, that, that just makes my eyes pop, my ears ring. This is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul writing to believers, believers, people following Jesus in Galatia. Can you imagine? I mean, I, can you imagine? <laughs> just looking at the people in, in the room. You foolish viewers! <laughs> Who's bewitched you? I mean, what could give rise to that sort of concerned accusation? What in their world was going on for Paul to use language like this? Well, many, not all, the believers in Galatia were foolish. They were unwise. They intellectually and ethically lacked in understanding or judgment, and that folly was manifested in their actions. Their foolishness was an adverse religious and moral judgment which reflected a deficient understanding of salvation. To complicate the situation, the Galatians did not arrive at this deficient understanding by themselves they were influenced by outsiders who sold them a bill of erroneous goods. The Galatians, like other people in the ancient world, were vulnerable to, quote, magic, end of quote. Just to give you a context for that, magic, if you were to travel across the Middle East today, there still is the concept of the evil eye. That's the type of magic that Paul is addressing in Galatians. These are some quotes. Again, we, we're not familiar with this, so let me give you a little context. Quote, the ancient world was conscious of being surrounded by invisible and hostile beings which sought power over it, end of quote. They were aware of the spiritual world, the invisible world. I wish I could say the same about the Western church. Another quote, the ancient world believed in magic and harm done to human beings by supra-human, that's kind of who the gods were, they were supra-human and often demonic beings. So this magic they understood to be bad, that it could have a bad influence over people. Then a final quote, behind the magic stands the power of falsehood aimed to do real harm to the noose of the Galatians. The magic was empowered by lies, by falsehood, and that was aimed towards the noose, the mind of the Galatians. The mind, the thought, the reason, the understanding, the discernment of the Galatian believers were under subtle attack. So, 
Paul addresses them as anoitoi, foolish, unwise, unintelligent, irrational. And it's a play on the word noose. A before noose would be without using your mind. You're foolish, unwise, unintelligent. Quote, the famous feature, or not famous, the dangerous feature, in that the Galatians had willingly yielded to these magicians and their influence without realizing that what those powers of falsehood were doing. So they were not aware that their mind was being filled with falsehoods. They were becoming foolish. They were becoming irrational. They were becoming unwise, and it was working its way out into their actions. So with that bit of magic in the ancient world, spiritual forces at work, leading the Galatian church astray, let me read the rest of the paragraph. Galatians 3, verse 1 through 5. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing? Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or by your believing what you've heard? How does Paul attempt to break the spell, this magical spell influencing the church in Galatia? Well, first and foremost, he draws their mental attention to the cross of Jesus. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. As the Message Bible translates, something crazy has happened. For it's obvious that you're not, you, you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. So in order to clear the mental fog, Paul splashes this reminder of the central truth of the work of Jesus on behalf of the cross as one would splash cold water in the face to awaken others from a slumber. And he proceeds to break through their foolishness with a series of rapid questions, three questions, and then other statements that he makes that are questions, but I think that he's playing off those questions. Take these, take these questions to heart. Did you receive the Spirit? By doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Second question, having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? 
Did you experience so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing? And third question, well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Doing the works of the law, even God's law, the Torah, or it could be the laws of our land, including the Constitution, does not save any individual nor any nation. The only work that saves individuals is the work Jesus did on the cross. The only way to, believe, to, to receive the benefits of Jesus' work on the cross is to believe what we have heard from those like Paul who've delivered the message to us through the ages. New life began for the Galatians and for us by faith in Jesus. New life continued for the Galatians and for us day by day by faith in Jesus. New life will find its consummation for the Galatians and for us by faith in Jesus. Would we be so foolish, so unwise, so crazy to believe that the works of the law, any law, could do what faith in Jesus alone can do? Sadly, from my perspective, too many churches today live under the spell of partisan politics. I see that spell of partisan politics in the same light of what I tried to explain to you about the magic that Paul addresses influencing the Galatian church. It's a fog that subtly creeps into the mind of the believer, leading that believer, leading that church away from the, from the cross. I hear Paul saying to the church today, you foolish church, who has bewitched you? Whose influence have you come under? Somehow, we've come to believe that the power of government and the works of the law are needed to fulfill the purposes of God in our day. Some go so far as to say God will judge our nation with a plague or with a pestilence based upon our laws. Stop and think about that for a moment. Is, is God required to save our nation if we do the right works of the law? Is that not a loss of focus on the cross of Jesus? The focus of the cross is salvation, never judgment. God so loved the world that he sent his son to save the world, not to condemn the world. Salvation of people 
from every tongue, every tribe, every nation by faith in the work of Jesus. There's no national salvation. Person after person, person from every nation receiving life by faith in Jesus. I deeply, with great conviction, believe that we, people following Jesus today, just like the Galatians that Paul addressed, need to break the power of any influence over us other than the influence of the Holy Spirit. I believe that the church today needs to break the power of partisan politics influencing the church. I believe the words that we've read today give us direction to do just that. Remaining under the influence of partisan politics is foolish, it's unwise, it's unintelligent, it's irrational. So all I can say is come Holy Spirit. Come, help us expose the spirit of partisan politics influencing our minds. Would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit, take every thought captive. Lead every thought to obedience in Christ Jesus by your presence and your power in our minds. Holy Spirit, increase our discernment and awareness of spiritual forces seeking to harmfully influence us for evil, not for good. Holy Spirit, remind us our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Holy Spirit, lead us to repentance for cursing people of the other party and even at times demonizing them saying that they are beyond salvation. Holy Spirit, expose each and every political lie we have believed. Set us free with your truth. Holy Spirit, lead us to repentance for our foolishness. Renew our mind. Give us wisdom. Put our focus back on the cross the resurrection of Jesus, our only hope. Come, Holy Spirit. Set the church free from any influence other than your influence. Now that's what I'd love to see stopped. But I want you to know that I also think there is a way forward. And, and I just, I just started, started reading. There's been a series of really good articles that have come across my news feed. You know, what is the place of the church in partisan politics? And if you'll just, I mean, you can Google that. What is the place of the church in partisan politics? 
And those that are writing in answer to that question are saying there is not a place for the church in partisan politics. So I ran across Jonathan Carl. Jonathan Carl describes himself as this, a monarchist pastor waiting for the king of kings to return and make all things new. Did you get that? Hi, I'm Jonathan Carl. I'm a monarchist. I believe there's a king. Uh, my king is Jesus, and I'm waiting for him to return. And when he returns, he's going to make all things new. I just think that's rather clever. Well, as I read him, I, th- I think that he gave 12 suggestions to help lead us out of partisan politics into nonpartisan politics. So first... God is first. God's truth is always above man's opinions. Politics, it's man's opinion. It's not God's truth. So reevaluate your political positions with your Bible open and in conversation with other people that are following Jesus. Two, other second. We must put the needs of others before our own agendas. We can better love our neighbors with tangible actions rather than just trusting in a ballot cast. Three, selfless. We need humility. The church needs humility in all of our communications and attitudes. Before we post or speak, we should consider the tone and approach we choose, our daily decisions should demonstrate a care for those different than us. Did you get that? Our daily decisions should demonstrate a care. We care for those that are different from us. Default to nonpartisan. Unless our profession requires it, meaning unless we're a politician, most Christians should strongly consider the wisdom of being publicly nonpartisan. Most Christians should strongly consider the wisdom. It's wise in our day to be publicly nonpartisan. In these divisive times, it may be best to stay away from partisan political posts. You don't need to share that partisan political post. Stay away from partisan political rallies. Stay away from partisan political posters, bumper stickers, yard signs, buttons. There's a wisdom to being publicly nonpartisan for everyone on the planet, especially those in the U.S. that are following Jesus. Now, your vote is important. You have the responsibility and privilege to be publicly informed and to go to the polls whenever you have the opportunity. Private persuasion is often better. Some issues deserve our public discussion and commentary. More may be gained, though, through private personal conversations without the rhetoric found in many public forums. Humble and respectful disagreement. We are all created in the image of God. We ought to speak kindly to all with the reminder that no one 
is beyond the life-changing hope of Christ. We must love our enemies, even our political enemies. Avoid absolutes. Recognize our temptation towards sound bites and the demonization of others. Avoid oversimplifying situations and categorizing groups with stereotypes. Pray more than you speak. We often fall into the trap of believing that our voices to mankind make a bigger difference than our prayers to the creator of the universe. Man, that's a hello. Prayer is our primary political calling. Share the gospel more than your political persuasions. Elections and governments come and and go. True and lasting hope is found only in the kingdom of God through Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Live and speak in light of these priorities. Be more passionate about inviting others to follow Jesus than winning political arguments or elections. Resist as a last resort. Rare biblical and historical examples exist to show and prepare us for times when courageous rebellion is called for in order to remain faithful to God. The broad biblical guidance is to honor and submit to the authorities whenever possible. And finally, the 1% exception. Although 99% of us should probably be nonpartisan monarchists prioritizing the kingdom of God, 1% of us may be called by God to serve within a partisan political sphere. If that is you, please remain faithful to God's truths in your policies and platforms, no matter the personal cost. Speak to the good without flattery or partiality in both parties. Confront the bad with love and humility in both parties. Practice the fruits of the Holy Spirit at all times towards your political opponents, talking with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the suggestions that I would love for us to take to mind and to heart from a monarchist pastor, Jonathan Carl, waiting for the King of Kings to return and make all things new. In past elections, pastors, church leaders have been encouraged to remain nonpartisan while serving the church and yet at the same time exercising their civil responsibilities in voting. Churches have encouraged congregations to vote while not endorsing candidates. Sadly, partisan politics have not wanted in most recent election cycles for church leaders to not endorse. There's been a push for more and more church leaders to endorse a particular candidate. The result of that is that our churches become more and more partisan and more divided politically. In order for that trend to stop, it seems really, really wise to me. It's, it's not just pastors or leaders. 
that need to commit to a nonpartisan position. It's all of us. All of us in the United States who are following Jesus, who are really serious about following Jesus. We're not just attending church. We're following Jesus. We're learning from Jesus. We're living for Jesus. We're calling for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done in the earth. It's time for us to come, come out from underneath the spell of partisan politics. Now, I know these 12 guidelines, that was, that was too much and too short a time for you to, to take those all in. So I'm going to send those out uh, this week. And I really want you to take the heart, to think through, and to put into action all that you can from this word. If all else fails, would you just remember, let's, no more craziness. That's a, no more. Let's keep the focus on Jesus. Keep the focus on his work for us on the cross, not our work through political activism. Let's believe what we've heard and follow our king by faith and faith in him alone. And let's remember we have a message to share with our neighbors, all of our neighbors. And let's remove every obstacle that could pre prevent us from sharing the good news of Jesus. You know, if I am a partisan of X party and I have X party signs in my yard and X party bumper stickers on my cars and I've got X party caps... And my neighbor across the street is a partisan of the Y party, and he has Y party signs in his yard and Y party bumper stickers, and it goes on and on. I'm hindered from going across the street and sharing the message of Jesus because I first got to clear away the obstacle of our political difference. That's way too complicated. We don't need to do that. I hope that communicates well. May God, Holy Spirit, set us free from the spell of partisan politics. In Jesus' name, amen.